there's just so much going on, right? I see responsible AI being a huge area of focus, not just for Microsoft, but for everybody in the field, right? Because, you know, it, it's a hard problem and, and it's often not 100% obvious what's right. Like a, a lot of times, you know, you have entire teams, entire companies putting out models that then do horrendous things that people just didn't catch it or people didn't think he was wrong, but then other people think he's wrong. So just having a really like formal way to think about it, I feel like we're in the early days of that. And Microsoft has been doing it, other companies have been doing it, and I feel like we're, we're just taking baby steps. There's just so much more that we can be doing and that we will be doing to fix the issues. Uh, I also think that we're still in the age of large models, right? We've started seeing that. If, if few years ago of like models getting bigger, bigger, bigger. It, it, it still seems like every week I read tech news and there's something that just blows my mind. Just somebody did an even larger model than the previous one that does this and that and that. So so I, I still feel like we're living through history in, in a way in, in AI, right? Like I feel like there's other areas of computer science that happen, you know, that you're living through history if you, if you lived like 20, 30 years ago. And I certainly feel like we're, we're living through history now in AI, just these humongous models that come out that do just these amazing things. Um, and I also think that we're going to start seeing a bigger focus on data. I feel like we've put a lot of focus uh, into improving our models and kind of uh, making better models, but we've kind of forgotten the data bit. And I feel like we're getting back to that a little bit. I feel like there will be better integration between uh, MLOps tools and data processing tools. Uh, and I think there will be a better, uh, like a, a stronger focus on kind of having good data, not just having good models. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the D4 Data Channel podcast. I'm your host Deepak and with me we have Ms. B. Stolnitz. B works as a principal uh, developer advocate for Microsoft and specializes in Azure technologies, uh, particularly in Azure ML. B is a familiar face to Azure users. Uh, she appears and showcases all the cool features uh, at Microsoft conferences and in various uh, Azure ML communities. She also has a technical blog about various ML frameworks, techniques, and other components of Azure ML. It's a pleasure to have you here today, B, and uh, thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you so much, Deepak. I'm very excited to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Great. Thanks a lot. So, uh, yeah, so maybe if you could give a quick introduction about yourself uh, regarding your role and your uh, aspirations in this particular field. Uh, sure. I mean, you pretty much said it, right? So I'm, I'm a developer, a principal developer advocate at Microsoft. And so my role is basically kind of half as a developer and half as somebody that helps other people develop uh, with Azure ML. So, so half of my time I spend coding and, and working very closely with the team and, and kind of thinking through features and that kind of stuff. And then the other half of my time I spend um, uh, either doing presentations or videos or demos or blog posts or engaging with the community to make sure that people know how to use our features and that they're they're kind of informed of like best practices and things like that. Right, great, great. So I'm also an Azure user and I use Azure ML a lot, so yeah. <laughs> That, okay, so I didn't know that. That is super exciting to hear that. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, and I'm currently working with the responsible AI team with Microsoft. Like, I'm, I'm closely working with that team. And uh, we are we are doing a pilot together with, like, with my, com uh, with my company and, uh, like, that company which I'm working and uh, with Microsoft. So That's yeah. one of my favorite right. features. So, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. And it's a really good team. Exciting. So, you're, yeah, you're in good hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great, great. 
Very cool. So yeah, I have few questions for today and uh, starting with this one. So like out of the AI offerings from Microsoft, where exactly does uh, Azure ML feature? So we're, um, so basically we're a tool for ML engineers and data scientists to train and deploy their models in the cloud, just to put it very simply. Um, and so we, and, and also Azure ML has like three different ways that, that people can interact with it. So we have an SDK, so you can write code uh, to train your model in the cloud and to deploy your model. We have a CLI, so you can write ad, uh, like YAML configuration files and then use a, a command line interface to execute them. And we have our studio, which is like a portal, like a, a kind of essentially a web page that you can go to where you can interact with it. So we try to offer like most feature, all features, hopefully, you know, that's our goal to offer all features equally in these three different ways so that people can train their models and deploy their models in the cloud. Right, right, perfect. So, uh, so my next question, like, so what is the design principle behind Azure ML in the MLOps space? So it's basically to enable people to to bring their models to production, right? So you you know I know if you've done you know we've all done like or many of us have done either grad school or like studying on our own, right? And and we spend so much time. At least okay, I'm going to speak for myself. In grad school, I spent so much time, um, sometimes even days, training a model on my machine, and my machine would be tied up, right? And uh, you know if you're grad school and all you have is a laptop, that's what you can do, right? But but when you're starting to like migrate your your code into production and kind of doing some real work that's going to be used by users you need to to train in the cloud so you can continue developing also you will have access to gpus and much more powerful machines and even distributed distributed computing and all that so so that's basically the idea so if you want to scale your training and then deploy your model so that people can uh, just query an endpoint and and kind of have access to your model, then that's kind of where Azure ML sits, right? To kind of bring your work to the next level and kind of get people, uh, get it to scale, get people to use it. Right, right. Yeah, so one of the important feature which I like in Azure ML is uh, the model versioning. And uh, so uh -huh. that's something, yeah, so that's something which I really like because uh, back in our days, like when, when, when we started, like we don't have the version controlling and like we just, we just, uh, uh, what to say, represent those models by numbers, like model 01, model 02. And that, that, that becomes yep. much pain, like to backtrack which data set we trained for this particular model. And uh, yeah, like that's, that's totally so when right. I, uh, when I yeah. actually, yeah, when I moved on to this uh, Azure ML, that's uh, one thing which I really like at the start, like, okay, like I can connect the data set along with the model and I can access at any point, like which version I'm actually doing it. So yeah. Totally. Cool. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that like, I think people that uh, come new into the field now, they just take it for granted because of course you're version. How can you live without model version? Right? But if you've been in the field a little longer and you've had to do kind of things on your own machine and kind of before uh, these tools were available, then you really appreciate those, those simple things, right? Because you've, you've had to live without them. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And uh, even the model transferring. So like, uh, it was a pain back in the days when like, we had to train it in our local machine, then we had to export the mo model to somewhere. But now it's like, uh, we, are, we have the Azure CLIs wherein like, okay, we have the model trained. 
let's say i want to deploy yep. it in a what to say like i want to make it as an endpoint directly okay jump into that particular endpoint or like if i want exactly. to move into a blob storage i can just do it with just uh, like one cell command like it's it's done so totally yeah i see that yep. i see the importance there like or else or else it, it was a pain like okay we have to physically transport the model that into some other storage and like yeah it was space <laughs> exactly totally yeah so uh so it seems like there have been like many new ai services and the products that are created for non machine learning experts so should the ai practitioners be concerned with it i don't i don't think so i'm not concerned so microsoft does have a lot of offers that are for non uh uh developer non even non ai developers right so we have azure ml you know i i like to think of it as like a a cake with four layers <laughs> and azure ml is like at the very bottom of that layer uh, of the cake right it's like the bottom layer and um and azure ml is for machine learning engineers and for data scientists who are developing models from scratch and kind of who understand uh, ai right and then we have two other layers on top of that for developers our cognitive services layer and our uh, applied ai layers which have like they offer prepackaged solutions like for common problems for example vision you know if you need to train a model that distinguishes cats from dogs uh, you don't have to write it from scratch these days you just go to the cognitive service to the vision cognitive service you give it some images of cats and dogs and and it will do it for you or another example another azure ai example would be like the form recognizer if you need to recognize a form back in the days you had to actually train a model from scratch and kind of give it a bunch of forms and get it to understand what's a checkbox and what's a free form kind of field and whatever these days you just use a form recognize and it does that for you and so this these are like two layers that you can use as a developer without being an ai practitioner that you can just be a regular developer without ai knowledge and then we have another layer on top like the top layer of the of the four which is for business users for example um you know people who don't know how to program but who still want the advantages of ai and and we have power apps for that so people can just through power apps they can do some pretty powerful things with ai without actually writing code and so so with that you know if you think about it we have one layer for machine learning engineers two layers for developers and one layer for business users for just the general population. So yeah, if you look at that, you might think, you know, like are we going to be out of a job? Are we like putting all this work into making all these services for people who are not developers? And when I'm I'm giving the example of Microsoft, but you can look at any other company and and everyone is doing the same. Like how can we make AI more accessible to people who aren't AI practitioners? And I don't think that's a bad thing personally. I feel like we're not replacing this core of people like me and you who actually know machine learning i feel like we're expanding the field right i think at the core of ai there's still people writing stable diffusion from scratch or writing chat gpt from scratch uh but what we have today that we didn't have 5 years ago is like a whole community of of people around that are using these tools and 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 bringing a lot of creativity to these tools and doing amazing things with these tools uh, without necessarily having to be ai experts and in my opinion that just kind of expands the field it doesn't necessarily replace uh the the engineers and scientists that are creating new ai so i'm actually really excited about it great great so yeah so like when i started with uh, azure tech stack like uh, the first service which i utilized was azure uh, hand written recognition ocr oh OCR really service. so yeah uh, yeah 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 so uh, 
there was a trouble actually like so uh, like when when we were considering the open source it was mainly tesseract and some open source platforms were there but like yeah. uh, to to kind of uh, what to say get into more uh, uh, what to say handwritten forms and other stuff like we had to use this we had to convert them into image and like lot of pain okay and what happened is like uh, to train a custom model it will take maybe a good amount of time at that time like not now maybe now it will be much faster but like maybe like uh, five years back or uh, six years back right. it, it was actually like a little difficult like uh, yeah like and uh, yeah like maybe uh, so what what really happened is like okay when Akshoros here is coming into picture maybe I don't know like I think I used it maybe four years back or something so at that right. time what happened is like it gives a credibility and even a what to say uh we have a confidence so so when right. ashur osiar is giving me the efficiency like it's easy for me to uh what to say validate with the customer saying right. okay like this is a this is the service from microsoft and this is what we are getting as an efficiency so we cannot right. expect beyond that <laughs> so there is exactly. kind of like a cut. so 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 that that that, yeah. that is kind of like the flexibility we we are start we started getting when we start using the ashur cognitive services instead of mm-hmm. like the custom train model in in those kind of cases because it's very hard to train a custom ocr at that time like because like right. we have to train it with a lot of maybe like now it may be very easy but like maybe at that time it was very tough exactly and as a scientist you want you want to be spending your time in the things that haven't been done the things that actually are innovative yeah. uh, for your field right you don't want to be reinventing the wheel right and so if those things can be provided yeah. just use them right don't reinvent the wheel And actually a new cognitive service that we have is the OpenAI service which is really cool where you can access a lot of the OpenAI um models just from within Azure ML just very easily which is very cool. Right, right. I see the integrations actually even with the hugging face and we have the we can directly load the models into an endpoint from the Azure endpoint like we can directly pull the hugging face as well as the like i think the open ai services i didn't try it actually in in sarashur but like i could see like their services is all available so yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty cool. amazing actually yeah. the way it integrates yeah so uh how to the next question like uh, so it's regarding the responsible ai so like creating responsible ai has been a major concern in the industry like and uh, is ashur ml doing anything to like mainly uh, mitigate this kind of issues basically Absolutely. I mean, you you mentioned it, right? You're working with it. So we have a new feature, which is the Responsible AI uh, dashboard, which became uh, so we have like two levels of like release. We have public preview where we allow people to play with the feature, but we, we're you know we're not making any guarantees. We can change it still, and then we have general availability. At that point, we're like, yeah, you know, the feature is stable. You can use it, right? And so uh, Responsible AI dashboard became GA or general availability in our last conference, which was Ignite. Um, just a few a couple months ago uh and so so this is this is pretty big deal right like to have this offering that can help people um make better decisions with our models um and so the way you use responsible ai dashboard it, it's actually pretty simple like so we 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 ship a bunch of different components uh, that you can use uh, when training your model so components are like things that you can add and it is a part of a pipeline as a tra- training pipeline so if you use the ui you can literally just drag drag and drop these components into your training uh, and so we ship a bunch of components that help you analyze and discover issues with your data and your model um and so by using those you get a report which is our responsible ai dashboard right you get a report that tells you 
things that or alert you of things that may not be ideal with, with your model. So for example, uh, let's say if you have a model that is giving loans to people, it will alert you if you have um, a certain ethnic group that is being consistently denied loans. That's one example. Or for example, if your data doesn't have enough representation of another ethnic group, in which case you just need to add more data, right? So it alerts you those things. So what it's not, I talk to, to a lot of people about it and they're like, ooh, there's like a responsible AI feature. Great. So can I just like click a button and it's like responsible? Well, it's not magic. We don't do magic here, right? So, so it's more like a tool to help you uh, look at your model, look at your code, analyze it, and then make certain decisions to make it better and make it more responsible, right? It's not it's not a tool that you just click a button and poof, all your problems just go away and you can just like be happy about it. So so you still need to be involved. Uh, but it's something that we, you know, we didn't have and it's, it's a huge help these days to kind of look at that dashboard and think about it and, and kind of Think think about things that you probably wouldn't think about uh, if you don't use it, right? So, so I, I do think that we're taking steps in the right direction. Right, right. So I've been a part of their uh, pilot test actually, uh, and on the general availability tool. And currently, what we are building is mainly on the uh, NLP side. So uh -huh. uh, yeah, yeah. So on the NLP side, like the features were like it is little different actually. Like uh, we cannot really use the feature dependence charts, which is actually there in the mm. uh, general models, basically. So mainly on the panel data. So yeah, like we are we are trying to actually figure it out because uh, we are trying to load the transformer models into the I see. Uh, responsible AI dashboard. And yeah, like we, we are actually close by, like we, we got the first glance, but like, yeah, it is, it is kind of still uh, evolving. And our plan is like in my, in my company, like what, what we are trying to do is like we have a a product on ESG due diligence, wherein like mm -hmm. we like our product is actually accessing the ESG ratings for different companies, and we have a, a model like which which clearly categorizes what is a risk element in news items and so on. So, so mm -hmm. we are trying to see like where this model is kind of like how we can uh, upgrade this model using the responsible AI dashboard, like whether how right. the model predictions can be made better, and uh, is it giving a fair prediction. So and so is it yeah, helping you? Actually... Do you f do you feel like you? So, yeah. So so we are discovering things we are starting... by your model. Yeah. yeah. So we have started integrating it actually. Like the first version is up, and okay. we got the testing data for it. So one of the challenge right now is like uh, in the responsible AI dashboard, uh, the textual analysis feature is something which is mm -hmm. currently developing, and uh, ah, yeah, we are okay. doing that uh, proof of concept now. So I see. Yeah. I, I I hope like so you get uh, maybe to, like. Yeah. Yeah, we will get the flavor actually, like uh, soon. Right. So, yeah, that's that's where we are at that moment. That's pretty cool. That's exciting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So over to the next point, like, what are some of the other new features that have been recently added to the Azure ML? Uh, sure. So, so we talked about the responsible AI, which is GA, right? We have two other features that we announced as GA, or two other major features that we announced as GA in our last conference. Uh, so we have a new version, a V2 version of our SDK. Uh, and this may not sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal because our second version of the SDK has a really close parallel to our CLI. And so with this new version, you can go back and forth between using the SDK and the CLI very easily. 
because if you use one, you can easily migrate to the other. And it, it also makes it very easy to mix the two in the same project because sometimes it's easier to create a certain Azure ML resource using code. Other times it's easier to create the resource using the CLI. Uh, and so it's just very cool to just be able to mix the two in, in, in the same project. And so that, that I personally love the SDK v2 and, and I think it's a huge step forward. Uh, we also uh, announced general availability of our AutoML feature, uh, which, you know, I think you probably understand what AutoML is. Like it tries a bunch of different algorithms and a, different, a bunch of different parameters for those algorithms automatically for your data. And then it picks the best algorithm and the best parameters. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, may think, Oh, but you know, I'm a data scientist. I know how to do that. You know, why would I do that? That's like for people who don't know what they're doing, but it's actually not. Uh, and, and the reason why it's not is because it gives you the code that it generates. Uh, like when, when it finds the best model in the, in the best parameters, it gives you that code. So, so yeah, if you don't have experience doing that, you can just take it and just use it. But if you are an expert, you can just take that code and tweak it and, and experiment with it and just kind of use it as a starting point for your experimentation. And that does save a lot of time, even if you want to have that fine control over all the choices, all the parameter choices and everything. So it is really cool. And, and the coolest thing is that we now support both vision and NLP. Uh, which is also new. Uh, and so, so it, you know, for you, you're doing NLP. So it's actually a cool thing for you to look into if you haven't already. Um, and so you'll, we also announced three other features, uh, major features in public preview. Uh, so one of them is registries. Uh, so registries are basically organization-wide repositories for Azure ML resources. And so what they do is they make it a lot easier for people to share resources across teams or across organizations. Uh, that's still in public preview, so I probably wouldn't recommend using it in production, but I think it's a good thing to start using and start playing with. And I've personally played quite a bit with it, and I actually think the feature is quite solid, even though it's still in public preview. So it's a pretty cool feature. Um, also, we have Spark integration within Azure ML. So if you're doing um, huge processing, you know, data processing, um, you can access Spark Compute without having to leave Azure ML, which just makes it just so much more efficient. Um, and we also released this feature called the ACPT or Azure Container for PyTorch, which is basically a new environment, a new curated environment uh, that has that is just loaded with uh, goodies, with like. <laughs> Uh, packages that speed up training of PyTorch models, such as On Onyx or uh, DeepSpeed and many others. Um, and it, it just makes it so much faster. If, you, if you're working with large PyTorch models, this is just like amazing. It just cuts the time of training and deployment by so much, especially if you're using like hugging face type models and that kind of stuff. And so that's also in, in public preview. Uh, and also, if you want to learn more about most of these features, check out my blog. And this is my shameless plug for the day. Um, I talk in detail about many of these features. Right, right. I, I, read, the, I read your blog, actually, and I went through some of the uh, tutorials, actually. Right? It's pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, like, awesome. uh, yeah, regarding, yeah, I, I think I, I, I checked the, I tested the uh, AutoML functionality like i i like automl as a validation service so uh, it's always nice to validate like okay whether we have built this the best model or is there any better way or better uh, what to say architecture that can get 
the more predictions actually so i i consider watermelon in that way it's, it's pretty nice yeah totally and, uh, i agree and i and i really do believe it's also for experts like because a lot of people that kind of dismiss it as like i know what i'm doing but i feel like it's it's for everybody right right earlier i used to hear like um, watermelon was giving so for example let's say we are training a nlp model and like uh earlier like i i don't know when the uh deep learning models came into picture but like earlier it was only machine learning models machine learning uh, it was getting trained like yeah but but now we have the deep learning models also so yeah so that was in our yeah. last conference so the la- at ignite uh, a couple months ago uh that we announced uh nlp and vision models so deep learning models basically yep so right. that's new right Yeah. yeah and and yeah like and one of the best part is like with automl is that uh, we have the direct connection actually like okay right. we have the model in automl and from there directly so uh, let's say if we build a custom model then we have to save it in the registry then we have to take it from there then we have to create the jobs for it but if it's an automl right. it is much more flexible actually so but yeah like we have figured it out <laughs> so it's not a problem like we have figured the pipeline for that so yeah, yeah. so yeah awesome. i i'm very proud like we we use azure ml a lot and uh, we we use yeah we we use pretty much all the azure components like our entire product is built on okay. azure and wow. uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and azure I'm ml is a major that. part like yeah till now like yeah. till now our architecture is mainly like uh, yeah so there is one thing one thing i want to highlight so it, i don't mm-hmm. know whether it is a good approach or not like uh what we do is uh we have the model which we train on the azure ml notebooks okay and mm-hmm. uh, earlier it was uh, azure ml notebooks and like uh, basically that's that's more like jupyter notebooks so we are flexible enough to mm-hmm. use that uh, uh azure notebooks in the azure ml portal itself and mm-hmm. we also load our entire code base into azure ml because we can use the mm-hmm. gpu basically because yeah. our entire ai engine actually lies in the gpu service so when we are mm-hmm. using the code that means it's more like python scripts right so right. when we are using the python scripts like uh, to switch from so what happens in like normal the entire code base is like it is not a long notebook it's like multiple mm-hmm. python files here and there so right. we have to get into one function we'll jump into the next code so uh, so right. the people who are uh, very comfortable with the local setup that means the machine local machine uh, they find it a little hard actually that means like mm-hmm. in our team we have developers as well okay and for a data scientist it's good to or like mm-hmm. they like the interface of a notebook but for a developer they will not like right. the interface of a notebook they really right. want to actually have the flavor of that python file and they want to jump into the files like they want to hope it basically so and right. uh, one interesting thing in azure ml is that we can uh, directly load the entire script and our folder in the visual studio which is yeah. very promising and uh, yeah. earlier i think it was in beta version now it's pretty stable i i could see because yeah. i also use that uh, visual studio right now and it's it's pretty yeah. nice like we can exactly use use how it is in the normal environment so yeah, yeah. and and what we do is like we load the we train the model we mm-hmm. <laughs> so the thing is like to avoid cost in deployment what we do is actually we uh, we transport transport this model to uh, blob storage okay okay so and from the blob storage every time the um, solution is running we just load the model from the blob storage 
and okay. uh, the challenge is that like uh, we will not get the auto scaling flexibility which the endpoints provide the deployment models provide mm-hmm. so slowly we right. are migrating that to the endpoints because now we understood like uh, so what happens is like then mm-hmm. when we are using transform models some models like if you are using it in a C- series what happens is like it started uh, crashing for some some models so mm. now we realize like okay it's best to replace that with the ml endpoint and uh, we don't even need maybe like maybe uh, we don't even need to run the entire system in a gpu because model we are calling it in a cpu cluster so mm-hmm. yeah like that yeah. F- flexibility is there like after training right. we register the model so like yeah like yeah. i like the pipeline in the ml in, in that way like it's it's much more flexible like it's it's much yeah. more flexible as you said and uh, yeah, yeah so yeah i just want to highlight yeah that. and you know like notebooks or or python scripts like azure ml will support both right so ultimately it's like what are you comfortable with i i do see what you exactly what you said is exactly what i see with customers is that data scientists are generally more uh, comfortable with notebooks ml engineers are generally more comfortable with python files and i also see that there's a little bit of a sequencing uh, in the sense that often data scientists will use the notebooks and we'll do the experimentation and come up with a model that works and all that. And then they'll pass their work to the ML engineers and then ML engineers will kind of separate it, organize it, refactor it, uh, make all these Python files. And so generally that's what gets deployed with Azure ML, right? So that I see that sequencing, but it doesn't have to be like in the sense that if a data scientist wants to go straight to deploying their uh, or even training, training their model in the cloud from a notebook or deploying their model in the cloud from the notebook, we support that way. We we can do that, right? So, so basically, whatever you're right. more comfortable with, it, sh- it sh- should just work. Yeah. Correct. Correct. I I like that flexibility which Azure ML offers. Like, because uh, like uh, it, it depends. Like because like we there are so many uh, mindsets. Like when when it comes to the implementation side and like and right. it, it, Azure ML supports that. Like it's it's not really uh, concise to a, a single thing. Like we are flexible mm-hmm. enough to explore the options. So, so that's, exactly. That's actually yeah. Yeah. Because people just so, have different preferences, right? Correct. So, <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct. True. True. So we do the next question. Like, uh, so how does Azure ML team decide uh, which new features to add? Yeah. So, uh, so we have many different ways. Uh, so we have the Microsoft Azure ML Insiders program. Maybe that's what you you're doing. I don't know if that's what you what you're the program you're going through to work with a responsible AI team. So it's essentially a program that um, enables companies to work directly with the product team. Uh, And so uh, what you get to do is you get to play with the features before they're released to the public. You have access to like that early code Uh, and you get access to the team and you get to give feedback at the time that the features are being developed and you get to shape the product essentially. Um, And if you want to get into that, we're actually now right now in that enrollment uh, phase for that program. I think, I don't know how how often it happens, but it's happening right now. So if you're um, working for a company and you have a relationship with Microsoft, you probably have a CSA assigned to your company. So if you want to get into this program, talk to your CSA and they'll be able to, they'll give you a form and you, that you can fill out and then you can get, you know, apply to be in this program. So that's one way. Uh, we also have MVPs, which are our most valuable professionals. So if you're, if you're a developer and working anywhere and you're super passionate about HTML and you're blogging about it, you're speaking about it in conferences, uh, we generally see you. 
we know who you are and we often invite you to be part of this program of the MVP program. And if you are an MVP, then you get access to the team and you have a bunch of like events and kind of um, essentially a, a special, you know, special kind of way to, to talk to directly with the team and to give feedback, which is, which is also really cool. So we get a lot out of it and they get a lot out of it. So it's kind of a win-win situation. And also like the team is constantly on social media, on forums, on Stack Overflow, uh, just listening to, to questions, you know, to kind of seeing what are people saying? What are they getting uh, stuck on? Uh, so we are listening. Like sometimes it seems like you're just posting these questions and and it may seem like nobody's watching, but the people are, are watching. The team is watching, and they're they're helping. They're often like literally bring a comment from a customer on Stack Overflow to a meeting and say, you know, we need to do this because people are getting stuck on this, and here's proof. You know, this person is asking this question, and I don't even have an answer for them because we don't have these features. So we need to work on this. So this is something that we absolutely listen to we look at and um and and so so yeah so if you have issues go out there talk about them and we we are listening okay great so uh yeah so this question you already answered like uh, so azure ml works well with both scripts and notebooks and like uh yeah like that functionality is pretty awesome actually because uh because nowadays like it's not just data scientists who are working with the azure ml like even or like even the ML engineers, developers, you all actually use Azure ML because that's the easiest way to even like use, uh, like if, even if like at the least we can still use the clusters, like the uh, GPU clusters. So like exactly. that, is, that is a very big uh, win actually because the entire code, whatever we are writing, like it will be in GPUs. And yeah, totally. it's, it's uh, yeah. So, uh, so a lot of advancements are actually happening in this and like uh, regarding the open source packages. So like how well mm -hmm. does Azure ML integrate all of these within? Yeah, so Microsoft, uh, so Microsoft in general, and I think Azure ML in particular, we really do try to um, integrate with open source and to be friendly to open source and to contribute back to open source also. Um, and I think there's two pack. I'm just going to highlight two packages that I personally love that I use a lot. And I feel like Azure ML team is, is also very passionate about, which is MLflow and PyTorch. Uh, so MLflow is basically a, a, a package that helps you essentially in the entire life cycle of machine learning. Um, and, and the Azure ML team has really embraced it. And just to give you some, if like a few examples of, of benefits of using MLflow, uh, for example, you can use MLflow logging like for your metrics. Uh, and if you use that logging, then if you go to our portal or to our studio uh, webpage, you see everything in nice charts and everything without writing a line of, of, uh, of graphing code, like without having to plot your, your metrics or anything. And that comes for free if you use MLflow metrics. So I personally always use MLflow metrics for that because then I can just analyze my, my code so much better. Uh, another advantage is if you save your model as an MLflow model, then when you go to deploy it, you can do it with a button without having to uh, write extra code, without having to write a scoring script or any extra code to deploy it, which is which saves a lot of time, right? Because it's a, it's code you don't have to write. Um, so that's another advantage. And for PyTorch, you know, I already talked about the Azure Container for PyTorch, right? So if you are, you know, Microsoft has embraced PyTorch and and, and uh, uh, Azure ML team has embraced PyTorch, and so if you are using PyTorch uh, and you use this container, you just you're just going to be mind blown by the 
the, the speed uh, improvements that you'll see. Uh, and so it's, yeah, so it's benefits, huge benefits for people using PyTorch. Um, yeah, just a couple of examples. Right, right. In the responsible AI dashboard also, like MLflow integration is there. So yeah. it is, yeah, it is happening with MLflow. For sure. So, uh, yeah, so maybe like my last question, like how, so what do you think about, uh, what do you think are the major trends that will shape MLOps in the near future? So much, you know, there's just so much going on, right? I see responsible AI being a huge uh, area of focus, not just for Microsoft, but for everybody in the field, right? Because, you know, it it's a hard problem and, and it's often not, 100% obvious what's right. Like a, a lot of times, you know, you have entire teams, entire companies putting out models that then do horrendous things that people just didn't catch it or people didn't think it was wrong, but then other people think is wrong. So just having a really like formal way to think about it. I feel like we're in the early days of that. And Microsoft has been doing it. Other companies have been doing it. And I feel like we're, we're just taking baby steps. There's just so much more that we can be doing and that we will be doing to fix the issues. Uh, I also think that we're still in the age of large models, right? We've started seeing that a few years ago of like models getting bigger and bigger, bigger. It, it, it still seems like every week I read tech news and there's something that just blows my mind. Just somebody did an even larger model than the previous one that does this and that and that. So so I, I still feel like we're living through history in, in a way in, in AI, right? Like I feel like there's other areas of computer science that happen, you know, that you're living through history if you, if you lived like 20, 30 years ago. And I certainly feel like we're, we're living through history now in AI, just with these humongous models that come out that do just these amazing things. Um, and I also think that we're going to start seeing a bigger focus on data. I feel like we've put a lot of focus uh, into improving our models and kind of uh, making better models, but we've kind of forgotten the data bit. And I feel like we're getting back to that a little bit. I feel like there will be better integration between uh, MLOps tools and data processing tools. Uh, and I think there will be a better, uh, like a, a stronger focus on kind of having good data, not just having good models. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so the <laughs> important point which you mentioned, like regarding the data which we are training and the responsible AI. So like, I, I also feel the, uh, importance of it because uh, like I, I did a lot of podcast on that actually in this particular topic mm -hmm. regarding business ethics and related to transparency in AI so uh, in all these podcasts and actually what what you mentioned also like uh, basically like uh, recently this uh, app came like lens AI and uh, like people are people started uploading their images and they are getting very what to say vulgar images in return and they started yeah, realizing right. why it is happening like and then why why stable diffusion is actually giving in the back end stable diffusion is what's happening running right. and like why the model is trained with so and so images of like and why it's so biased towards women like when they give a image yeah. why it's returning all the half naked pictures of women and right. fully dressed men as the images for men so like yeah. Uh, so these kind of questions are actually posing and like people started uh, discussing about it like even non-tech right. people started uh, asking and like I still remember like a lot of people actually even reached out to me asking like okay why it's returning like this and uh, why it's, it's it's happening like this so the simple answer is like yeah like uh, as you said like it should be like we cannot just develop AI just as okay for the namesake or like okay 
i have the assets i can create the model no that that should not be the case like we should be training the models in a proper responsible way wherein like it it satisfies everything and like it it should be essentially not a threat to the society or the environment where we live so yeah Absolutely. these kind of things are having yeah. huge importance at this moment and like I, i i so that's where like i really like the initiative from microsoft on the responsibility and even uh, so there was a podcast uh, with mikhail fiero like he was talking about mm-hmm. recommendation so he also works in microsoft actually and okay. the recommendation department so what okay. he said is like uh, at microsoft there is a screening time or something like whenever a new product or some project or something is starting like they will go through a series of uh, questions like okay is it meeting the what to say responsible criteria like it's not like directly jump into a solution <laughs> we can build it so right. i see the importance of that pro- process actually because like it is extremely important we cannot directly just throw away solution just like that to use it for public yeah. okay, and and just getting whatever stuff in return right so, and yeah. i think that all of us like ai practitioners we want to do something that makes the world better a better place otherwise why why are we doing it right like i don't want to work on something that's going to make the world a worse place right and i think that ai has the potential to do either it has the potential to make the world world amazing right. or really really bad right and i feel like we're now at that inflection point where ai is getting powerful enough that we can kind of choose which way we're going to go and i know exactly which way i want to go right i i don't want to be working in a field that's making the world a better place a worse place right so so i feel like this is hugely right. important to address now like right now right i want i want my work to matter right i want people to be happy about it and and to do amazing things with it yeah so that that covers all my questions for today and uh, thank you so much we we for explaining all these important concepts in uh, azure ml and like how it's evolving in the entire ml ops and the ai and even the entire uh, product space actually like lot of companies lot of uh, projects are currently using this azure ml which is really great and yeah like i i also personally like to thank the entire azure ml team for bringing such a good amount of flexibility to the users and like yeah thank you thank you so much we, You're so right that the team is amazing. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. <laughs> and thank you for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to talk about these things and just, you know, chat with you. 